Hello and welcome to Game and Gadget Podcast number 21. But this isn't your typical Game and Gadget Podcast. This is a special. So Tony Warner has been co-host of the Game and Gadget Podcast for a number of months and months and months now. Has, if you're listening to previous podcasts, been scribbling away at a book as well as a new game. But we're here today to talk about his book, which he's just put on Kickstarter. And within, I think it was four days, achieved his goal. And now it's funded with currently 179 backers. And I'm sure that will increase because it's still 25 days to go. So first of all, congratulations on that very quick funding of a Kickstarter because they're not all successful. And uh, so, yes, Tony Warner, writer of the new book, co-founder of Revolution Software. Welcome again, Tony. Thank you very much, James. And would you and, like uh, to invite our extra guest here today? Joining us now is uh, my good friend and uh, co- co-editor, uh, Martin Mulrooney, who's uh, been helping me the last six months or so with the book. And uh, I mean, it works, works very well because Martin, uh, he's pretty much a scholar of revolution and knows, knows more about some bits of it than I do, to be honest. Um, so it was a very good partnership, and uh, he certainly writes better English than I do. So between the two of us, we've uh, put this book together and made it readable. Fantastic. So welcome to the show, Martin. And maybe we can start with you as uh, Tony, obviously being co-founder, is going to have a very specific view of Revolution Software. But what was your perspective of Revolution? Yeah, I guess I was um, pretty well placed because um, th- the reason it actually came up I was talking to Tony, actually, we're not quite sure 100% how this happened, but my understanding is that um, I met Charles a few times throughout the pandemic um, around the time they were doing Beyond the Steel Sky. I um, did an interview with him for that, Um, and Charles is quite difficult to pin down for interviews and things, Um, and I'm quite shy doing stuff like this. Um, and Charles had always said, I'll do an interview and I'd email him and it would never happen. So in the end, during the pandemic, I had plenty of time on my hands at home. Um, so I bit the bullet and did a, a, quite a few Skype chats with Charles and I ended up doing an interview about Beyond the Steel Sky. And then I did another one um, for the 25th anniversary of Broken Sword, which is quite funny because I said, can I interview you for the 25th anniversary? And he didn't realize it was the 25th anniversary. So um, all their social media channels started and panic and important updates about it. Um, but off the back of that, when I was speaking to Charles, I said, um, there's a lot of stuff here that is um, really interesting um, that's probably going to be lost to time, I guess. Because um, even Charles was saying, you know, his memory's hazy on a lot of things and, um, you know, a lot of people have, have passed away, unfortunately, over the years. Um, so I started thinking it'd be really good if somebody wrote a, a book about revolution. And around that time, I saw Tony do a tweet, I think, saying that he was doing it. And I was a little bit, I was I was excited because, um, you know, I've always wanted to have that insight into revolution. But I guess I was a little bit disappointed as well because I thought I was really onto something. Um, and then you were. You know, I was I was never going to beat Tony. <laughs> yeah, I was. Um, too late, though. But I was never going to be able to, um, you know, to be fair, mine was going to be more of an oral history, so it would have been interviews with, with the people who are still alive and asking them um, questions and stuff. Um, but Tony had obviously already done a lot of that uh, in preparation for the book. He'd spoken to Steve Inson, they had um, long chats, and he'd spoken to a lot of other people as well. Um, and my wife kind of kept on um, you know, prodding me, saying, you, you should message Tony, you should... Um, 
you, you should you know tell them that you're an editor now because I'd interviewed Tony ten years before for the for the Kickstarter for my own website and Jane was convinced that you know I could add something to it um, and I just needed to reach out and then I think Tony messaged me I think when he saw the 25th anniversary Broken Sword interview I'd done with Charles Tony messaged me and said I'm um, I'm actually doing a book and. Um, I said to him, oh, you know, that, that's great, and I'm an editor, and I could have a little look over it for you if you want. And then he took about 10 seconds to reply, at which point I was saying to Jane, why did you make me do this? He, he, you know, he doesn't want me reading it. And then Tony said, yeah, that'd be great. Um, but the idea originally, I think, was for me to just have a glance over it, and that was, as you know, that was eight months ago or something like that. Um, I say in my introduction to the book that we kind of, re we've rewritten it three times over and people will probably just think that that's an exaggeration, but it's probably, I mean, it's probably four times now. We've we've really gone through it and I guess I'm a, I'm a big fan of the games and obviously I have that interaction with Charles who's still at Revolution and Tony who's not been at Revolution for a while. So I think I was quite well placed to say when um, something was clear or something was unclear or um you know, it, it took me a little while to get comfortable to tell Tony that he'd misremembered something about his own games. Um, he'd say, you know, what do I know? I only, I only made it. Um, but I think me and Tony have got a pretty um, good working partnership now and friendship. So um, I'd like to think I improved the accuracy of a few things. And I, I think I added a few things as well. And, um, you know, I, I've, I'm always playing the games. I, I was replaying um, the Beneath the Steel Sky remastered recently, and Tony had forgotten all about the post-credits um, scene that they'd added um, for that. Um, so that's in the book now, um, and you know I've been helping him do the research and stuff for it. So it's been a re it's been really really good. It hasn't felt like work at all. The, the Kickstarter is probably the, the the point where it started to feel a bit like work because we have to put ourselves out there rather than just chat until two a.m. and you know discussing the book. So. Yeah, I mean I I quite like. You know, being a, being a programmer, it's all about hiding away with your headphones on and, and computer screen in front of you and creating something. You know, and writing writing turned out to be quite a similar thing in a way. I mean, it's it's quite you can't you can't do it all. It's a funny thing is writing. You can't do it all day. You can program all day if you're in the flow. You, I think writing it's pretty difficult to do that. You know, a couple of hours, two three hours, and you, you're done with writing. But it's it, it, in every other way, it's very very similar. So. Um, uh, I, I, I quite enjoyed it, and um, you know that was, let's say it was it was like programming, so it, it, it wasn't really work, um, and and it was it was creative and it was hiding from the world while making something that the world will hopefully like, you know. Um, but at the end of it, you've got to come out and and promote it and stuff, and that's that's what we're doing now, which is, you know, it, it, it's it's good fun to to be interacting with fans and stuff and, and and all the rest of it but yeah it's it's a bit more like work isn't it i mean it's harder it's harder for me because i don't i don't naturally do that kind of thing and um probably martin's the same yeah i think um it's very different to people having a chat about something and then the goal obviously is to put this book out and people love it um which i which i really do, do think they will um if they've got an interest in revolution or or even just the game industry um, but it's a scary thing, you know, like, um, we were, I knew that we were both nervous cause we, we talk quite a lot. Um, not just about the book we talk every day. And I think the days leading up to it, um, we didn't talk much, but I think that was just nerves. Um, but yeah, it seems to be going really, really well. <laughs> you know? We kept putting it off the Kickstarter. I mean, uh, my, yeah. mine was the button, to, you know, my, mine was the button to, to launch the thing and, uh, 
you know, it's like the weekend before we were kind of, yeah, then this is it now. There's nothing else to fix. You know, there's nothing else to do. We, 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 we're just going to do it. And then I just kept putting it off for like, you know, the, all of the week. And then it got to like Friday and it was like, God, we just got to do it. <laughs> and then we, re- just, <laughs> then we rewrote just the page. Uh, we rewrote the whole thing again. Added, yeah, added, we did added, it last added, minute. Added a little, <laughs> yeah, I did a lot of bullet points and stuff that, that, that actually improved the page quite a lot. So, but having done that, we had a bit of momentum, didn't we? And I just, I just thought, sorry, it will we'll set it free and launch it, you know. And that's the yeah. risk, isn't it? You could tinker with the book and indeed the kinks start to for months if you're not careful and think, ah, there's that one thing I wanted to mention, or do I really want to put this? And before you know it, an enormous amount of time has passed and you've just got to be brave. I mean, you go, right, now's the time. Here we go. Press the button. And you've done it. And it's obviously paid off because, as I said earlier, four days in, it's funded. So now anything else on top of that is surely going to be a nice welcome bonus. Yeah, it's good It's good that it did that because I mean, basically, it, it, I, I think sort of studying Kickstarter, but there's two kind of Kickstarters really. There's ones that, that go through pretty quick, you know, like literally three or four days max. And, and after that, I think that it's, it's generally harder to get there is, is the general rule. So, um, yeah, it's quite a relief. And the thing is, you, you've really no idea how, how Kickstarter is going to do, you know. I mean, uh, the, the Broken Sword 5 one, we, we, we had, you know, you have a set of expectations. You've, you've got disaster at one end and you've got, like, unbelievable at the other and, and what's it going to be, you know. It's going to be somewhere in between the two probably you can kind of rationalise and work it out that it, that it should do all right. And, uh, you know, we always kind of thought a Broken Sword 5 one should do all right, but there's, there's no way to really know how many people are going to come and back it, you know. I mean, you just don't know. So you, you in that sense, it's, it's, it's extremely frightening is, is, is Kickstarter or, or any other crowdfunding i suppose but this, i mean this book you can you can think about it and 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 it looks like it should do all right because i mean the book is actually pretty i mean obviously i would say it but i think the book is pretty good um there's a lot in it to be honest and and uh, with martin's help it actually reads quite well as well um so you combine those two things and it's it's not a bad thing you know i think it's i think people who, who, who buy it will be will be pretty damn pleased with it um and get a lot from it but you know, you, you you can say that, and it doesn't mean anything really. You know, you, you can write your bullet points about what's in there, and you can do your little graphics and your video and all the rest of it. Um, uh, but you don't know; you, you have no idea. So, um, yeah, to go through in four days is it means it means we're on the right side of that particular win lose situation. You know, so we should be all right now. And it's a fair size of a book, isn't it? What was it? About six hundred pages. It's more than that, isn't it? It's about to say, I think it's about 400 pages of text and then 200 of images. Um, but yeah, the, the Google Doc um, couldn't handle the volume or the yeah, amount of edits. Yeah, Google Docs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's the book that you make when you're doing it yourself because if, if, if it had gone off to a publisher, they would have said, you know, they'd have said, what the hell are all these photos, you know? Who wants to see what your office looks like in 2003, you know, who, who wants to see that? Uh, I mean, it's actually pretty interesting, I think. And uh, th- there's a lot of stuff in there that's like, just captures the moment of people working on Beneath a Steel Sky, you know, and it, and it just happened to be in black and white film. Uh, and it, and it, it, it was, it, you know, those pictures were on a film that I had in a drawer 
from from you know the the mid nineties and I re- you know three years ago I got this film processed and to see what the hell was on it you know because I had no idea and it was a bunch of photos of of, of the Steel Sky development um, just just really random stuff testing the cameras which is anything I, if I remember correctly but you know to me to find those photos and then um, be able to put them in the book and and share them and and have them um, duplicated and people see them is is an important part of it but i know if i'd sent that book off to a publisher they'd have said no 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 you know 400 photos forget it you you can have 10 10 glossy pages in the middle like a lot of books do that on that'll do because that'll cost us that'll cost us 50 pence you know and and that's 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 what we're going to that's what we're going to do you don't need all these other ones you know you don't need you don't need 400 photos in this book so strip it all down i mean that's what corporate publishing world would have said but you know uh, the the luxury of taking the risk of the crowdfunding is that you know i, I can package the thing as i want it to be and uh, you know I, I like all those pictures and there were a lot more i still had to edit them down so um you know i've done the book that i wanted to do and said what i wanted to say and uh, i think it's pretty good have you actually got the book to hand uh, there you go source yeah. prepared <laughs> Go on, Martin. Can you get it onto camera so for those who are watching the video version of this can see the the wedge that is this you beautiful be, book? Yeah, you've got to be careful lifting it. You can cause yourself <laughs> some, some serious damage, Max. Um, <laughs> yeah. Look at that. Now, even that front cover, I think, went through quite a few permutations, didn't it? Did you? <laughs> yeah. It did, yeah. Yeah. But it's a no, fair that, that size of a book, so... I mean, I think when people receive it, they'll, you know, it's not it's not a small paperback that you buy to read on your flight, I guess. It's, um, it's good to prop up your house if it's starting to lean a bit, you know. <laughs> it's a proper, <laughs> yeah. serious, hardback book, that is. 600 pages, 400 pages of text, and 200 pages of photos. And as Tony was saying there earlier, I, I agree that... There's going to be publishers who don't know the heritage of Revolution Software and your background, Tony, because this book is as much about you as it is Revolution Software. It goes pre-Revolution Software, your introduction to sort of game development, and then how did Revolution Software become what it is at the start? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, it's not really a book about me. I, I, I mean, I don't think it's a book about me uh, as such. I mean, uh, the, the history of revolution goes from, uh, I mean, it goes literally right back to when I was still at school because I, I wrote a game when I was at school and sent it. Even I, I left school at 16 and pretty much at that point I had a completed game that, for the Amstrad CPC, which I sent off to Arctic Computing, which is a was a publisher like 20 miles away from where I lived and that is where Charles is working so I mean I met Charles at that point in in 1986 I think it was so uh, you know that's that's why it, it starts at me writing those 8-bit games but it's it, it's it's definitely not really a book about me it's a book about the games industry and and, and the, the context of the games industry with in in context of where revolution was relative to the games industry you know so you, you can kind of say this is how the game industry worked this is how the business works and and, and how the corporations ran and what the what the 
what the business models were and, and you know revolution is the is the example of a of a developer moving through that system uh, and obviously the individuals within it like myself and charles and, and various other people that pop up through through the book but it, it's it's more it's more about our our position relative to the games industry you know and how, how how it's a conflict basically there's a conflict between creativity and corporations and what corporations want you know and, and that, and of course, that revolution, indeed but of course revolution software what they're known for at its core is point and click adventure games which yeah. if you rewind to you know lure of the trentress beneath a steel sky and then probably the juggernaut that probably everyone really knows revolution software for the broken sword series of games that was a time when point and click adventure games were that was the way you sort of immerse yourself in the story and the puzzle elements and listen to dialogue and this was dialogue when it was floppy disks at a time when it would be subtitled sort of details of reading what the characters were saying and then later cd-rom came out and then you had a talky version <laughs> imagine saying that now a talky version of the game it sounds almost like the 1920s cinema oh we're going to go and see the talky love not like that but in terms of point and click adventure games that cd-rom technology came out and then the characters yeah, yeah. you could actually hear them speaking and then there was this beautiful period of point and click adventure games and they almost disappeared entirely there was this lull for many years and there was maybe like certain markets where there was smaller titles but there was no big title and there's that weird transition yeah. to 3d and it was like well where does this genre sit within that and that whole world of new discovery but then again more recently in the last five years plus you look at titles like broken sword 5 day of the tentacle remastered that's come out from lucas arts sort of heritage back in the day and others like full throttle and point and click adventure games have suddenly become very relevant again so i think in terms of timing of writing your book and telling a story of like the dawn you know the early point and click adventure games and how that's sort of transitioned through lots of upheaval and again and one of the points you've made is you know revolution software was a small development house compared to some of the other giants around at the time which had a tremendous amount of risk didn't it uh yeah i mean well you know the risk for us that we we wanted to write these narrative games I mean, we we liked we liked that kind of thing and you know we weren't necessarily completely obsessed with it being point and click but we wanted to do stories and we wanted to do characters and we wanted to do puzzles really you know we we we, we thought we had some flexibility with how we framed that kind of thing but you know that that was the that was the style of gameplay that we wanted to do oh dear. And, and, and the games industry kind of it kind of moved away you know it moved it moved towards resident evil and doom and, and stuff like that and, and, and the pub the publishers the corporate side just wanted to chase that kind of thing so we were, we were you know we were always fighting to do what we believed in you know and sometimes we were doing it when we shouldn't have been doing it you know so you you, you had kind of conflicted games like in cold blood which was which was being dragged in different directions you know um but yeah it, it's all gone full circle several times to be honest and, and you and you come out where you are now where where you know point and click is it's 
mean, there's a, nostal- there's a nostalgia side to it, but there's also a real, there's also now a realization that, you know, who, who cares what the graphics are like or, what, or how many polygons it's throwing on the screen? I mean, no one does anymore. So it's people are interested in characters and gameplay and and, and enjoying yourself now again. So you know, it, it is a good time because it's it's in the middle of a of, a, of another change and uh, anything's possible again, which takes it back to the kind of feeling we had in the eighties. You know, when computers first arrive, these amazing machines that can do anything and uh, and it's kind of to me it feels a bit a bit like that again you know because you can literally write anything these days and and if it's good it'll hopefully find an audience you know well to give you an idea and i'll quote you from your kickstarter it almost sounds like a synopsis from a point and click adventure game but uh, external forces acting on the company threaten to destroy it at every step along the way it sounds like a game in the making but it really was that perilous at times, wasn't it? Where revolution software's entire existence was sometimes, oh yes, we've got a game in the pipeline, we've got funding, and then all of a sudden, oh no, we might be sort of end of life in the following few weeks. There's there's a lot of near death experiences in the story of revolution, certainly. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I, I don't think it's going to make. Uh, I don't think it's going to make a game. I think it's going to make a, a major motion picture. To be honest. Okay. Have you, you decided know, who's going Martin to play you, Tony? Martin and I are talking talking to the big the big Hollywood people about it. Um, who, you know, who's going to play me? Who's going to play Martin? That kind of thing. Yeah, Ke- Keanu Reeves is, is is keen. He's keen. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Charles is a difficult one. Charles is really difficult. We're trying to we're trying to land the right person for Charles. So, what about for Tony? Well, Keanu, Keanu Reeves is, is he's up for it, you know. But, but Tom Tom Cruise as well has, has expressed an interest. So they're, they're kind of they're kind of competing for it. Okay, <laughs> I think we may have to take some of this in jest, ladies and gentlemen. But still, one day, who knows? Who knows? You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. Good to see Tom Cruise playing Tony. The Kickstarter the Kickstarter video is is a little bit of a homage to. Um, to Tom's early career, in truth. So, explain to the people watching and listening to this podcast. Then the whole, a lot of this video is actually spent flipping floppy disks across the room. And I have to say, Tony, your catching skills have obviously diminished over the years. If that video is anything to go by, but what is the what's the history that, of that? Why was that in the Kickstarter video? That that, that is what we found. Um, well, we, I mean, in the in the. When we, in the, in the early days, you know, early nineties, we, we we had these offices that kept moving from different flats and and dodgy dodgy offices in in central Hull and stuff. And there, I mean, I, presumably you could you could even as we started, you probably could get a network in your office, but it wasn't commonly done, and we didn't really know about it. So you know, when we started, it was just me and Dave, and we had Atari STs and stuff like that, and Amigas, and we didn't have a network. Between these, between these computers, you know, but we all, we were always writing ST, Amiga, or and PC, and Dave and I sharing the code and, and swapping graphics around. So the only way to do it is to put foot files on floppy disks and pass them around. You know, if if you want if, if you want the latest sprite, I've got it on a floppy or on my hard disks. And if I'm going to give it to you, the only way to do it is put it on the disk and give it to you. 
But, you know, if you're doing this all day long with lots of people, lots of files, I mean, getting up and re- delivering these floppies, it's kind of time-consuming. So the, the, the way to do it is to throw them. And floppy di- a three three and a half inch floppy disks. They'll if you get them if you get them at the right angle on the corner, get a good spin on them. You can deliver them with quite some accuracy and speed across an office space of some distance. But the important <laughs> but the important thing is to be able to catch them, because if you don't catch them, if they hit a wall or something, then they they can they can basically break, as we found filming the Kickstarter. You know. Yeah, we could have just used any old floppy disk, but you actually used a Beneath the Steel Sky one that got destroyed. Fell <laughs> <laughs> apart, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, we ended up with a pile, literally, three, we had three discs and, and they, they all got damaged and two of them fell apart in, in the space of half an hour of, of, of shooting this thing. Now, I don't actually remember them breaking at all. I think the plastic had gone a bit brittle with age, to be fair. Yeah, yeah or the, or the they, were never, they were never that sensitive in the past, I don't remember. Because, I mean, we used to cut ourselves quite often because if you, if you catch them wrong, the, the, the sleeve, the metal sleeve they have, it's got sharp edges on it, and you can you can actually do yourself. And it's quite dangerous for humans, but the discs themselves always used to survive. But, yeah, we trashed three of them making this video. <laughs> anyway, we thought we'd have a laugh and, and, and recreate that. Um, the glory days of... of um, and it's like it's like ploughing a field with a shire horse, you know. There's like, there's like a few people that can still do it. <laughs> and if and if they stop, then that's it. No one will know how to plough a field with a shire horse. It's the same is true with throwing discs. You know, you don't know when when those skills are going to be needed again. Watch this space. Someone's <laughs> <laughs> got to maintain these traditions. You know, absolutely. I'm sure grandchildren will be learning such skills and passing it on to their grandchildren, and they'll all talk about Tony Warren. No, it sounds like a beautiful dream. I'm there. I'm following it definitely. Um, so in terms of the, the book and the content with it, obviously a lot of it's from the perspective of Mr. Tony Warren and your feelings and the, the sort of feelings you were feeling around you. But in terms of research, it looks like Martin sort of contributes a lot of factual evidence. And I guess from your side of it, Tony, is like the development side sort of live in it. It's maybe got a lot more emotion for you as you actually went through that and reliving those memories but then you need to sort of well if i talk to for example steve ince who's well known within the gaming world as a a writer and an artist but he probably have maybe a slightly different perspective some of the events that happened that you remember and then there's martin with his sort of factual evidence as well and his thoughts so how did all that tie in and how did you get all that evidence together in the end was it quite an exercise well i mean i still know a lot of people um you know even i mean obviously all four of us the founders are still around you know we're not we're not that old you know so it's not it goes back 30 years but not not like 60 years you know so i mean we're we're all around still i mean steve's around and he was there at the beginning uh, you, you know, so over, over the years, there's been there's been a lot of people come through revolution, and uh, you know, a great number of them I still talk to. So, um, you know, there's a lot. Of, I did speak to lots of people, and, and you know, ask them very specific questions about what they remember about certain things. And uh, you know, everyone claims they don't remember stuff, and then if you can if you can go in there with a very specific thing that relates to them, then it's surprising what people w- will actually remember if you, if you find the way of unlocking it, you know, it, it, basically if you, if you say, 
Dave, you know, I'll go, go up to Dave and I'll say, do you remember, do you remember 1993? You know, he'll be like, no, to be honest. But if I, if I could say, well, we went to the, you know, we went to Wales and we did this, we worked on this particular piece of code and, and, uh, we, we dropped, um, a computer and, and, and it was a nightmare. And, uh, you know, and you go, oh, yeah, I remember all of that, you know, and, and, add, and then he'll add something to it. Cause you remember certain, you know, if you, if you think, if you think back something years ago, you, you, you'll remember little highlights of what happened, but other people will have other highlights. So it's, it's absolutely worth it's worth talking to people and, and poking around to figure out how to get these memories out of them, you know, cause it's all there. So it, it you know, the more people you talk to and they don't want to do it because it's difficult, you know, they're saying, why, why, we do? but then they get interested in it and start remembering stuff and it, it all come, starts to come out, you know? And then of course you've got, you've got two people's recollections of something. So then you, you, you go with those, two sets of memories to a third person and you say, Oh, remember this, remember that. And they, and that triggers their memories and you know, it all, it all comes out. Uh, and then you, and then it's the case of putting it down and, and then it's preserved, you know, cause it's, it's so many things were almost buried. You know, there was very little photography going on in the nineties because there was no, no cameras on phone. There's no phones, no mobile phones, no cameras on those non-existing mobile phones. So people aren't just going around shooting videos of a meeting and snapping pictures of the office or what's on the screens and stuff. Uh, you know, it just doesn't, just didn't exist. So, you know, what there is and what memories can be brought out of people, it's, it's just felt very important to, um, to get it, you know, while, while it can be got at and written down and, and then there's a, you know, there's a memory now it's, it's a written, it's a written document that, that explains a lot of stuff. So, you know, it's of value, I think. Well, absolutely. And Martin, I mean, how have you found the whole experience of being part of this book and maybe keeping Tony a little in check at times and also sort of figuring out how this information is collated together? Because it's, it's, as you've seen, the size of the book, it's not small. So this must have been quite a labour of love for both of you. But Martin, how, how do you feel about the whole process yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I, I knew about the book before it was was finished because we talked about it and I was going to edit it. So I think in the run up to the book um, being sent to me uh, as a document, um, I was playing in Cold Blood and me and Tony were talking a lot and that was quite fun because um, it was like having a director's commentary as you're playing the game, right? I'm messaging Tony and saying, this bit's really cool or, oh, I forgot about this bit because I hadn't played it for a long time and I, I feel like that's one of the more underrated revolution games. Um, but I remember when Tony sent me the book, um, he's a little bit modest. He says, like, I kind of got it into shape. And I guess I did because it went in, in some ways, because when he sent it to me, it didn't have any chapters. Um, it kind of started. And then there, there was bits where it had natural breaks and where he'd kind of done like a line break or whatever, but it wasn't like defined the way it is now where we've got, I can't remember how many chapters now, maybe 35 chapters or whatever. 30 odd. Um, but um, so I knew when I was reading it that it was good. I knew I knew also it needed um, it needed structure um, because that's one of the nice things about reading a book, right? You kind of flick ahead and go, "I've got a few more pages. I'll I'll finish this chapter and then call it a night." Or you go, "Oh, I, I want to. How long have I got left? Because I'm really enjoying this bit or whatever." Um, but I knew it was good because I kind of devoured it in the space of like 
I don't know, three or four days and, and I was working and um, my wife was, was pregnant at the time as well. So I was really busy. Um, but as a fan, I, I really enjoyed that very, very first draft, which, which I guess um, neither of us can really remember how much it's changed. But I reckon if we went back and had a look at it, we'd be pretty shocked because we've changed it a lot. Um, but but it you, was must fun. Have learned, you must have learned quite a lot of stuff you didn't know. Yeah, I think I think I probably have a little bit more knowledge than than some some just because I've interviewed a lot of the guys. Like I've interviewed Stevens, I've interviewed Charles, I'd interviewed Tony about um, ten years ago probably, um, and I kind of um, have that interest uh, in Revolution uh, beyond just playing the games. I kind of if there's a magazine out with an interview with Charles, like a retro gamer, or I had a retro gamer issue actually with. Um, with with Tony, where they gave away Beneath the Steel Sky on the cover disc and stuff like that. So I was always kind of emailing and making a bit of a nuisance of myself and asking these questions. Um, but I, I, I learned a lot of stuff that I didn't know. Or like, there was a lot of things where people think they know the answer. So like, people will say, people will answer the question when it gets asked, and they'll say, "Oh, this is the answer." And I think the interesting thing about this book is is that it's it's almost definitive in some ways. It kind of sets the record straight on a lot of things. Um, and you're not going to get more definitive than this, really, because um, people are going to start forgetting stuff. Um, so it's probably come at a really good time. As Tony said, it's not the case that like they're all really, really old. But it, but we're as as I edited the book. Once you got to like a certain point, Tony had really detailed notes, and we started to have a lot more images. And I even had images and like emails and things from the Broken Sword Five Kickstarter and um, you know all that kind of stuff. But earlier on in the book it's it's quite impressive really because when i when i went to hull and sat with tony he just pulled out a, a big pile of you know handwritten things and um you know tony sometimes would struggle to read what something said and or we'd look at you know you write a note at the time and you know exactly what it means but you look at it 30 years later and you're like what 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 did that mean um so some things will be lost forever um but, it, but I, I've described it a few times as a treasure trove, and I think it is. I think if you're a fan of Revolution or you love those games or they mean something to you, and I think Revolution's fans are pretty passionate and pretty, um, you know, it's different being a fan of Revolution, I guess, than being a fan of Call of Duty or Grand Theft Auto or something like that. I think Broken Sword fans especially are, are very passionate about that series, and, you know, there's groups online on Facebook where people are constantly talking about those games and constantly asking questions, like, about George, about Nico, as if they're real people. Um, so it was quite cool to get that insight into how these things were made, and it's not just a dry recollection. It's, it's kind of the people who were there, because... That that's the story, right? It's a bunch of people sitting in a room and making something happen. So, um, Tony says it's not a story about him; it's about revolution. But I think that the selling point of the book for me when I first read it was that it was Tony's voice, and that was the challenge editing it. I, I I wanted to make sure, obviously, that everything was as grammatically correct as possible, and that it read nicely, and it had the chapters and all these things. Um, you know, I, I love editing and writing so like i enjoy that stuff tony probably found that a little bit tedious sometimes because i'd hone in on things and say we need to talk about this and this and this and this um but the thing that was um tricky was i guess balancing that with making sure that you didn't tone down tony's voice because i think that's why it's a good book um so yeah he's very modest but it it's as much his story as as it is the story of revolution because he was there at the beginning right it was four people in wales um, deep as dark as wales as he says in the book and eating chicken um you know 
smoking silk good cigarettes because back then cigarettes were fine and um you know just deciding that they're going to do something cool and um it's you know it, it's still going today so it's impressive and tony just cover your ears for a moment sir well, me and uh, Martin talk about you some more. But uh, <laughs> absolutely, I mean, I've known Tony for a number of years now, and he's got a very unique take on things, and I love the way his mind works. So I would have hated to see that lost. So the fact that you've been making sure that's kept in there, because this is, I mean, I, I probably saw a fairly early draft of the book. I don't, I'm not sure how old it is now, but it's probably quite a bit old. But I loved it. It was Tony. You could tell it was Tony writing this book, and I'm sure you've kept that sense of Tony in there, and that's what makes it special as well. As much as it is about Revolution Software, it's Tony's quirky take on it, which I think is going to be a very nice way of describing the whole story from start to finish. Uh, oh, that's gone. It's Martin. It's Martin then. <laughs> it's all in my. It's all in my voice now. No, but I agonised <laughs> over it, you know, because like you can look at a sentence and go, yeah, that that's not quite right um, grammatically, um, but then you change it so that it's perfectly, you know, grammatical and it, it's the way it should be. Um, sorry, I can't tell whether you can see the air quotes. <laughs> um, but then you lose you lose the voice. So it was it was a case of um, I didn't just go in there and make changes. Like every change that was made tony would review it um but i but i I've, i very quickly became quite comfortable because tony i think trusts me now to um I, I feel like i can kind of edit in tony's voice if that makes sense so I, I i know when i'm doing an edit it's not so much the way i would do it if i was writing it it's the way that i would imagine if tony was talking to me and you know we talk quite a lot and we've hung out together and stuff and he's came here and i've, I've visited there so um it's quite an interesting place to be inside um, Tony Warren is now. Um, it's not a good place to be. To be I'll stop it. I drink. I drink a lot more. I drink a lot more nowadays. Yeah. You really, you'll have the skill set for when, when we do part two in thirty years' time. Anyway. Yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> the paperback. That's the next thing in it. <laughs> so, what was the response like from those involved with Revolution Software? Because. There must have been a certain amount of, oh, this sounds like a great idea. And then there was probably a portion of people who went, oh, flipping out, do we really want this to be public? And maybe some apprehension. How, how did the general feel go back at Revolution Software and people are maybe not there now, but still thinking about, I, don't, I won't say skeletons in the closet, but close to? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, um, I mean, I, I, I get on pretty well with Charles and Lauren still. I mean, we had, we had, the, the story of revolution is is all 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 kind of not fighting but pulling this way and that and and you know it was a, it was a sort of quite a dynamic relationship between between the four founders and um certainly myself charles and lauren were always like you know trying to one of us was always like trying to go a different way from the other two and and, and that dynamic would, would shift around and stuff at different times so you know sometimes we were falling out sometimes we we, we weren't and stuff like that so you know uh, I, I mean i'm not working there anymore uh, although my wife is funny funnily enough but um I, I know them quite well still and and you know, you know see, see them fairly often so I, I don't think they were ever they were ever in, enormously worried about it but they were kind of probably apprehensive as to what it was going to be, or you know what the tone was going to be, because you, you could, you know, you you, you can you can write anything and it, it can have any tone to it. So you know, until you read it, you don't know 
exactly what it's going to be. So, I mean, I imagine, and, and a few of the people that, that I've spoken to, they were kind of, cause there were a few people I went to with like a very specific question. Do you remember this particular software tool we were writing? And they were like, well, why are you asking me that? It was 15 years ago. And, and I, I'll say something like, well, it's just going to go in this book about revolution. And they're like, oh, uh, what else? <laughs> What else he said about me, you know, and I'm like, no, don't worry. It's nothing, nothing bad. You know, I mean, it's not, it, it's not, it, it's not, there's nothing in it that's, that's like, oh, these people at revolution were, were real, real bad people. You know, the, the bad, the, 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 the antagonists in this book are, are the corporate forces, the ones that were constantly trying to stab us in the back or, or, or whatever it was for their own gain. Uh, th those are the bad guys, and, and there was certainly, you know, the sharks circling the, the revolution pond, and there were always plenty of those. Uh, so, I mean, I, I doubt those those people that are that were involved in the, the publishing side of, of the story are of any interest whatsoever of anything I would write. But uh, uh, for anyone for anyone interested in the games to know that there was this this flip side that they never see, you know, um, would, would be interesting. I think. Because it's not, you know, you imagine, oh, it's your favorite developer, they're, they're writing a game, you know, they, they, and you just imagine they're writing a game. And there's a lot more going on. There's a lot of very unpleasant stuff going on in the background that that that, that goes or runs alongside these games, you know, as they're made. I mean, it, it, probably in, in any game you can go and talk to the people that made it and there'll be all sorts of stuff that, that they were constantly fighting with, you know. It, it, I mean, it's never easy unless you've got some, somehow got an unlimited budget, you know. Which virtually no one has. So, you know, if if you're out there trying to fund a game, you're, you're dealing with sharks, and you you've got to be careful. And and the the sort of tricks they get up to is the the the, the thing that I talk about quite a lot. So they're the bad guys, to be honest. If the, if the book has bad guys, and then there are, there are, I think would you, would you agree, Martin? There's some some quite interesting stories to do yeah. with corporate forces that corporate people will be expecting. But I, I don't think those people involved with the, from that side of the, the world will be the least bit interested in anything I've got to say. But you know, they're probably they're probably frying bigger fish. That's one thing we realised, though, right? Like that—that's one thing that we were really. Um, that's one thing we kind of went over quite a lot. Like, how much do you lay into stupid behaviour? And what we what we realised very quickly was you don't need to. If it's stupid behaviour, you don't even need to pass comments on it. Like it kind of speaks for itself. And um, that's another good thing about the book. It's it's obviously Tony has got opinions, um, but you know it's not hyperbole or Tony kind of overreacting to things. Some of these things are just shockingly appalling or stupid because they're appalling or stupid you know um but as tony was saying people buy a game and they're perhaps not happy or you know in cold blood um i don't like this or you know uh, you know why have these unbroken sword three in 3d um it's not like revolution just sits there and decides to ruin people's day there's a reason for it you know i don't think they could have made a broken sword three at that time in 2d um <laughs> You know, so that journey you were talking about, about adventure games being popular and then kind of declining and coming back, it's kind of like the through line of the book, I guess, because um, by the time it gets to Broken Sword 5, the publisher issue is gone, but it's replaced with the realities of being a publisher and a, and a developer, right, Tony? Yeah, I mean, that was the interesting thing about kickstarting games, of course. You know, the, the, the backers were suddenly exposed to the, some of the 
the, un, the, the dark underbelly of game development where things go wrong and, uh, you know, decisions have to be reversed and, and unpleasant decisions have to be made about things that involve costings or technology and, and stuff like that. And, you know, normally that's all behind closed doors and it's, it's conversations you have with publishers. When you, if you crowdfund a game, you have to have those conversations with backers and it's it's they're, they're suddenly exposed to um, all sorts of unpleasantness they weren't expecting. I think that's part of the reason why actually crowdfunding games is is on a bit of a downer at the moment because you know it was it was going to be back in the day when we did Broken Sword Five and um, you know uh, Schaefer did his game Double, double Fine. Uh, you know they there was a euphoria for crowdfunding and it was going to be the the savior of the games industry and we we kind of timed our our entry into that quite well with Broken Sword Five. And I don't, I don't think that would repeat now because uh, so many people have been burnt. But, you know, that, that, that burning used to happen, but, but it used to happen behind closed doors and only developers and publishers would be involved in it. And uh, crowdfunding exposed everybody to that. So I, I think that's why uh, it's, a bit, it's, a bit, it's a bit out of fashion at the moment. But hopefully it will, it will, it will co- actually come back and people will crowdfund big games again. Because it is, it is a good way to do it, you know. And, and it's the, it, it, it really is the corporations that ruin games. You know, corporate corporate gaming is is not not a good place to be if you want to be creative, you know. So I, I I've got big hopes that it will come back, but I think the confidence has got to be slowly rebuilt. Indeed, indeed. And I guess that's the the beauty of the book as well. You've been able, as you said earlier it's it's your own and between the two of you you've been able to tell this story without anyone sort of poking oh you can't say that oh no 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 they don't want news photos no 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 get rid of them who'd be interested in that bubble cup no no (laughs) and you know i've published things in the past and i've had sort of people saying oh no you can't write that you can't say this no you've got to you've got to write this and i'm thinking flipping egg it's just not my work anymore so i from that sort of perspective, I'm sure Martin knows where I'm coming from as well. It's there's that heart wrenching moment where that creation, that thought, is almost being like, oh no 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 no, you don't want to do that no, and it's like, oh what this is, is this uh, you're ruining my masterpiece. But you've got you've got the control, and I guess Kickstarter is also giving these software development houses that control back again that they're not being dictated to maybe it's a little bit scary because it's the community direct and they can be quite vicious at times as well you know but regardless it's giving you far more authority over that creative work so good on you and i i wish more and more people get into this sort of almost independent sort of publishing whether it's a book or it's a game certainly on this scale i think it's certainly very achievable and obviously, you've appealed to an audience because it was funded in four days. Well, in game games or writing, it's all about um, the, the the artist at one side and the and the, the players or readers at the other. You know, and and, and really, there there isn't any other relationship that really matters. You know, uh, traditional games publishing or book publishing, the middle bit is distribution and and 
you know, manufacturing, you know, the, the stuff that you wouldn't normally want to get involved with. But that's all those things are, you know, that they, 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 that side of it shouldn't be controlling it. You know, the, the art side should be, you know, it's what the, the artist does and, and what the readers want that's important, not, not what the corporate bit in the middle dictates or, or should be allowed to dictate, you know. And that's the same for any artistic work, really. Well, I have a couple of questions. So Martin was kind enough to put this out on the Kickstarter for anybody who was interested, and I did some tweets, and we've had a couple. So Bob Peterson asked the following. Will there be any content in the printed book that won't be in the PDF? I'm wondering if I should upgrade my support level. Uh, no, it's the same. No, I mean, the PDFs, the PDFs with every tier, but the PDF only one is, is there um, because of shipping, basically. It's a big book. Um, the flip side to that is we've, I've had, I had somebody message me the other day saying, can, can you do it to China? And I kind of said, I can ask Tony, but, you know, it's probably going to be quite expensive. As soon as Tony added it, I mean, it was quite expensive. They backed. So people want the book, um, but the PDF is there for, obviously, people who who perhaps don't um, want to spend that money. I mean, it's better as a book, I think. That's the way it's been designed, isn't it? A a book is better, but, uh, you know, shipping is expensive, and we appreciate that. So, I mean, that's that's why the PDF is there, really. I mean, we kind of debated it a bit. At one point, we weren't going to have a PDF, and then we were going to have a PDF, and then it was like, how much should it be? And and that's, that's quite a difficult question. I mean... I mean, the PDF is a file, you know, it's a big file, but uh, it, it is just a file. So, you know, what's the value of a file? Well, the value is what's written and what's what's printed there, you know, and that, that in a way is is no different from the value of a book. It's just, but it's nicer in book form. So, you know, I, I hope people buy the book version of it. And, and generally looking at the stats, it, it, there's very few people buying the PDF actually less than we expected so far. It's still it's still nice though. I mean, I've I've used the PDF obviously when I'm in work, and I don't want to lug the book around on my iPad or whatever. And it, you know, you're still getting everything that you get in the book. Um, but as Tony said, that's the way it was. That was our thing. We didn't just want to do a book. We wanted to do a really special book. We wanted it to be crammed full of images. We wanted to. Um, we talked a lot about the design of it and um, you know how it was going to be presented. Um, so yeah, in terms of the content, it's the same, but it was it was very much conceived as an actual physical thing. I mean, the, PD, the PDF that people will receive if they buy the PDF is the same PDF as the printers will get to print the book from, so more or less. So slightly different format, uh, admittedly, but it's the same. It's the same source material. So uh, you know, it's in, there's a thing called InDesign. InDesign it will kick out files for the printers and it will kick out the PDF. Uh, the, the source machine, the source is the same. So, yeah, apart from signatures and nice things like that, it's exactly the same. Okay. Next question, Nikki Hutchinson. You've, we've loosely discussed this, but let's try and get a little bit more detail for you. So, do you know how many times did you have to rewrite the book, either through altering certain wording, or double checking how things went down during the look back at revolution history? Uh, well, I mean, I, I wrote the whole thing just start to end, as Martin said, and then we just kept going over it, like first pass and second pass and probably a third pass, and, we, and just refining it, really. And, and I, I kept I kept remembering it 
remembering new stuff. So as Martin was like going ahead of me, trying to trying to fix the writing up to be smoother and all the rest of it, I was I was like jumping around the book, adding stuff in and kind of ruining the fact that you know if Martin was halfway through his second pass of the editing, I'd be I'd be behind him changing stuff because i'd remembered some more things you know so it was he'd go he'd get to the end and go oh well i'm gonna have to start again now because tony's had a, had a load more stuff so you know it, that's why we kept going over it again and again and again well we, we but, were talking all the time as well though right so we were we were you as you said you were constantly adding stuff in it wasn't even like it was just behind me um, I'd edit a paragraph, and as I've done the paragraph, I'm gone. That's a great paragraph. That's that's perfect. Tony would just start like typing stuff, and I'd see all the words move about, and the lines would move, and I'd be like, ah. "Okay, I'll go make a cup of a cup of coffee or something, and come back because um, this is this is still getting tinkered with, you know." And it's still getting tinkered with because uh, I keep remembering things, and it doesn't go to print. It's not going to go to print for. I don't know a few weeks yeah it could be six could be six weeks could be two months before it actually goes to print so it's still actually it's still actually being edited and you know i have remembered some stuff i'm gonna put in it so you know it's not finished yet in I mean, my, my intro says we wrote it we've rewritten it together three times and i reckon you can add another one on top of that because we we obviously showed it to to charles and Neuron, um and now we're doing a final 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 check um before the final copies are printed so maybe if you wanted to put a number on it maybe five times but um each of those times we've been jumping all over the place um i mean my daughter was born in may and i finished doing the chapters the day before she was born she was born early and i remember thinking thank god i got the book done before she was born perfect timing it was just so naive like what you had a date in mind didn't you tony when i first got sent it and you were like so you'll read through this and then we'll do the kickstarted this date and it was like five months ago or something like that so well i thought i, I mean i thought it was kind of done really and we just fixed the spelling here and there and stuff <laughs> i mean did you expect me to edit it to the extent of, did you think i was just gonna read through it in a week kind of thing or? well i thought it'd be quite a quick thing but i mean i'd never written a book before and it, and I never well, I, you know, I, I read that Stephen King book about writing, and he, he's kind of ma he, he's making a big deal about the the first draft and the fact that you do an awful lot in the second one. And I was like, I mean, I know he's Stephen King, but is he is he right about this? I mean, <laughs> he, on the one hand, he's Stephen King. On the other, I can't quite understand why why he, the second draft and third draft are so difficult and, and time consuming. But I certainly know now. <laughs> You know, first draft. First draft is pretty important because you, you, you know, you, you've got it from start to end, but you, you it, it is a lot more work to get a book um, to, to final to final um, state. But then video games are the same. You know, uh, as, as you see from the book. I mean, bro the Broken Sword games are a good example. I mean, they, they were all rubbish until like two weeks before they were published because it was all just tuning, 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 going over it and playing it, tuning it, tuning it. And that's that's why the revolution games were as good as they were because we we kept tuning them you know and it's why a lot of games come out these days on like early access and uh, or, or whatever and, the, and they're actually quite ropey it's because it's because it's quite hard to finish a game in the way it's quite hard to finish a book and, pe and people run out of time run out of money and, and pump them out and um, keep working on them you know patch this patch 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 it's like it's like we 
I could publish the book back in April, and then I, then I'd imagine I've been patching it every two months. As you know, if we'd patched the book, you know, it's much better now. It's much better. All these bugs are gone. All these mistakes are gone. I mean, that's that's how it would have been. It's just we we we've done it ourselves and published it at the end. You know, tuning it's tuning tuning things up is and polishing is uh, is is it's most of the work to be honest. Yeah, you mean, or you realise that you've slightly misspelled the surname of somebody who's mentioned quite a lot, um, who wasn't at Revolution but was perhaps kind of important elsewhere, and then you could, you, you're doing a control F to try and find every instance of that name, but on this Google Doc, it's already running pretty slow because we've pushed it beyond the, um, the limitations it was designed for. Um, yeah, I mean, that's in my introduction as well. Uh, I, I tried to find other people who've broken it. I think a team of like researchers took four years to break it and we've broken it countless times. So, um, but it's good though. I mean, if this was 10 years ago, what would we have been doing? I think um, I read a thing about Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman faxing each other chapters of Good Omens to write it together. Like how how they did that, I do not, do not know. Um, we're very lucky we've got all this technology where we can i can jump on a call and say to tony hey i don't know if this bit's right or i remember um i've just played in cold blood it's quite a quite a short game you've said it's quite a long game yeah stuff like that have you you've played in cold blood james not in a long time <laughs> it's a big game though isn't it yeah oh yeah <laughs> so i'm nodding it's i'm forgetting there's an audio podcast now <laughs> It's a big game. It's a big game, Martin. Huge. Huge. As huge as your book. Probably, yeah. yeah. That's, why we, that's why we need to, the dedicated one chapter to it, because otherwise we'd need to do another Kickstarter just about in Cold Blood. Maybe yeah. that's what we'll do next. Yeah, history of being Cold Blood. <laughs> volume, just, volume one of seven. Yeah, I mean, yeah. just a walkthrough of in Cold Blood, I mean, that'll be, that'll be a big book, won't it? Just the land train. And that's the land train. That's the book in itself, isn't it, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the, this is the one thing that I couldn't convince Tony of. So it'll be, that maybe if people are listening, um, comment on the on the Kickstarter. Let us know is in cold blood as big as Tony Tony thinks. Um, I think that they, I can see why they think it's big, because when you're developing it, you're not you're not playing it. You know. The, the, the joke is everyone at Revolution is is under the. The, the very correct. <laughs> I've tried to find other people to agree with me and end uh, up being shut down. Charles shut me we, down. Steve shut me down. We, <laughs> we, we, we are all fully understanding that Inkup is an absolutely massive game. And uh, for some reason, Martin doesn't, doesn't see it that way. But, uh, you know, the, the weight of public opinion is, is not, not on his side at all. It's not. I had to, I had, that's the one thing that I never got my way with, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it'll haunt me. I'm just going to tip X out that bit on the final version of the book, and I'm just going to write what I was going to going to suggest. You know? And no one will know. <laughs> no, tip X is so discreet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I just meant for my copy. God, I'm not doing it for everyone's copy. <laughs> it's always going to be bad enough signing them. I think we were talking about the logistics of that last night. That's uh, another problem for another day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but these. I mean, yeah. It depends how many we sell, really. But these books take quite a lot of space up, don't they? They're big things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I when I visited Tony last, he said this is the box that the ten pre-production copies came in, and they were 
I mean, they went packed tightly, I don't think, but they were huge. They were taking up the whole land and outside is um, flat. And then we were looking at each other like, and where are we going to put all these um, these books that we're going to hopefully sell? But we've we've got a plan. We've got a plan. It sounds like a live video stream watching Tony sign them all to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like signing things uh, apart from contracts. Oh, that's a, that's a good share. I'd definitely say that. So the name of the book, Revolution: The Quest for Game Development Greatness. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast not long after it's been published, you have until Sunday, October the sixteenth, twenty twenty-two. Just in case you're listening to this in a few years' time, at nine p.m. British Summer Time. And as we've been talking, you've now got one hundred and eighty backers. That's over the £8,000 goal you're hoping for. That's £8,828 with still 24 days to go. Pretty spectacular stuff. Guys, credit to the both of you for doing this. It must have been an absolute passion. I can see Martin's enthusiasm has got him for it. His absolute love for Revolution Software and everything around it. And Tony, you've lived it. You wanted to share it. The highs, the lows, and everything in between. Floppy disk damage. neither here nor there but anyway uh, thanks for joining me today guys on this special and we hope to see you all again soon on the game and gadget podcast